Welcome everyone to Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000, where we see catharsis in the age of AI hype. We find the worst of it and pop it with the sharpest needles we can find. Along the way, we learn to always read the footnotes. And each time we think we've reached peak AI hype, the summit of bullshit mountain, we discover there's worse to come. I'm Emily M. Bender, a professor of linguistics at the University of Washington. And I'm Alex Hanna, director of research for the Distributed AI Research Institute. This is episode four, which we recorded on October 26th of 2022, and it's all about AI art. We were joined by guests Jonathan Flowers, Jennifer Lina, and Nagar Bostamzadeh in a discussion that touched on everything from the social nature of art to whether AI-generated images can even be called art. And as you might expect, it gets quite philosophical almost immediately. Hello, hello. How are y'all doing? Welcome back to yet another episode of Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000. I'm Alex Hanna, the Director of Research at the Distributed AI Research Institute. We are missing uh, our lovely co-host Emily M. Bender today, but if you've read her piece with Alexander Kohler, you know they talk about the octopus. And so this is our mad AI hype octopus that's going to sit in for Emily until she can join. (laughs) She's going to hopefully jump in um, later today. Today, I'm super excited to have with us um, three fantastic special guests to talk about AI and art. And so I will go down uh, the list. Uh, First, Dr. Jonathan Flowers, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Philosophy at Cal State University, Northridge, His research interests are at the intersection of American pragmatism, philosophy of disability, and philosophy of race, gender, and sexuality as they apply to socio-technical systems. Dr. Flowers also explores the impacts of cultural narratives of perception and development of socio-technical systems. Then Dr. Negar, I'm not going to get your last name correctly. Do you want to say it? I'm so sorry. Um, Negar is a senior. Can you can you say your last name so we can Rostamze. say it? Rostamze. Oh. Okay, Rostamze. Okay, thank you, and I apologize. Negar is a senior research scientist at um, on the Google Responsible AI team and one of my former colleagues. Uh, her recent research is at the intersection of computer vision and socio-technical research. She studies creative computer vision technologies and the broader social impacts of them. She is also substantially engaged with the creative ML community and organized a series of workshops with artists on creative computer vision technologies and their broader impact at computer vision venues. And last and not Least, Dr. Jennifer Lina, who's a professor at Teachers College, Columbia University, where she runs the Arts Administrations Program. She's published books on music genres, the legitimation of art, and measurement of culture. So I want to thank all of you for agreeing to do this silly thing that we've decided to do <laughs> uh, every, every once in a while. And I'm really excited to have you here. So let's jump right in. So for this, we have a few different things. We have, uh, I'm going to present the way, the kind of um, way we've done this, and now you're going to see my share screen um, on the Twitch chat. But we've the way we've done this is that we've had um, kind of like a, 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 we've taken a piece 
and I'm going to put your pictures in here so we have you in in the stream. Um, but the way that we've done this is we've taken a piece and we've sort of discussed what the implications of this piece are with regards to AI hype. And so we've got a few pieces to look at today. The first is this interview, this kind of piece of reporting that Kevin Ruse at the New York Times did, focusing on um, this AI-generated picture um, and it's it's winning uh, at a county fair, I believe it is. Um, and sort of talking about these kinds of pieces of um, kind of AI hype and what it what it is. So we're gonna work on this focus on this piece first. So what I'm gonna do is just kind of kick it to y'all to say a little bit about this, say a little bit about your thoughts on it, and then have a discussion. And then we got another piece to discuss. So why don't we go in the order and, and I'm gonna kick it over to Jonathan first. Sure. Um, so like, it's interesting, right? The, uh, one of the things that caught my attention about the piece is that the, uh, well, first of all, I don't, I tend not to call this AI generated work. It's algorithmically generated images, basically. Mm -hmm. So the, the thing that this, um, this image, the contest that the image won or the, the section of it was uh, digitally created art. And so one of the interesting things that I find there is like it, that's not technically wrong, mm -hmm. but that stretches what we mean by created uh, in some pretty interesting ways, right? So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take up like say Dewey's perspective on on what art is, right? So art intensifies an experience, an emotion. It has a qualitative unity that is a felt sense of how the work comes together, um, and to the to the extent that uh, you know at the bare minimum, a work of art needs this kind of felt sense of how it hangs together. This algorithmically generated image does, but how the process whereby it comes together and what uh, emotion it's supposed to intensify is kind of absent because there's generally no human agent involved in the compilation of the images, which gets mm -hmm. into a whole bunch of other uh, problematic spaces, right? At least so essentially it's got all the same questions about facial or the all the same kinds of problems with facial recognition but in an aesthetic sense uh specifically the kind of cultural dimensions of a of the data set used to train the uh the algorithm the nature of the works that are included in the data set uh, so on and so forth but at ground level i'm not like my main concern here is the mistake of the tool for the product, right? So mm -hmm. these are, I would say that this is a really sophisticated paintbrush being wielded inexpertly, right? So there, mm -hmm. there are probably artistic ways that you could use one of these algorithms, but in, at least in contemporary uh, work right now, they, they aren't being used to, to create, create art because there is nothing, there's no experience being represented, nothing being, kind of intensified, magnified, such that the person engaging with the work has the experience of the artist. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not entirely sure what we would call the thing that has been created. Algorithm, algorithmically generated image is the best thing that I've come up with, but mm -hmm. art requires a particular kind of intention. Uh, mm. it, it require, it, it's supposed to represent an experience. I'm, so. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. I'm gonna kick it to Nagar. So, 
it makes me have so many questions. Uh, one of which is that, like, how did they generate this image? Like, is it just like they gave a prompt and this image was created? Or they fine-tune the model with, like, images that they like or, like, the story or narrative that they wanted to give? And they didn't even provide um, um, the prompts that they gave to the model, which might be like, okay, so they may call it, okay, so this is like my artistic contribution. Like I gave a prompt that I want to keep it for myself and then generate something beautiful with that. Um, so there are like, there are different debates about some like images that are created by generative models. Some of them say that it's a new technology. It's like a new artistic tools in the toolbox of artists. For example, like when photograph, uh, when people started photographing, some people were not calling it an art because it was different. It was not like portraying. Um, so there are some debates that like, what can we call it? And there are some artists who actually create really uh, rich stories with this generative arts. They play with the models, they contribute on kind of like the way that these models are learning and they want to give their narratives and story. And like in some of the art galleries, you can see some of like digital art galleries, you can see some of these works. But in this specific case, uh, there are so many questions. Like, first of all, like, is this image close to any image that was uh, created before? So mm -hmm. how close is it to an, an art which was already existed? Hmm. And um, what is it representing? What is the story behind this? Uh, what was the contribution of artists in the creation of this piece? What are the kind? Like, I mean, we know that like the policies are not really um, in this, like, in the level of the generative models' capabilities right now. So, I mean, this might be okay. Like, he might, like, they may, might be proud to say that. Okay, so we created this. Uh, but um, how about like in a couple of years? Um, yeah, I wanted to kind of like mention there was one artist, um, Greg Rutkowski. I'm mm -hmm. sorry if I'm pronouncing uh, his name. Um, so he was, uh, so he is an artist who creates like fantasy genre and like mm -hmm. and battle arts. Uh, mm -hmm. And then like he wrote an article saying that uh, the kind of like, um, I, I, if I search my name on Twitter, I see so many of the work which are in my style, but they are not my work. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to control these narratives. Like, I don't want to be in this like art generated art. Uh, my, I don't want like my work to be represented as like this style of work when I'm not attributed or like I'm not part of this. I mean, the, this could be very dangerous, like, if you consider it, like, if it goes to the way that, like, we are uh, destroying um, the contribution of some artists who spend, uh, like, their careers or life on uh, creating a style and then uh, present it in a way that um, they may not be happy with uh, the creation of those tools might not be really... Uh, yeah, it would be dangerous. Yeah. Hello, Liam. Liam's really wanting to get on this call and has opinions about <laughs> taking people's art and style. Yeah, but I think that's a super good point. People who 
don't want to be affiliated with AI art because they have this kind of fantastical, kind of very unique style. But this person is now becoming such a big source of this AI art. I mean, and and they're not agreeing to it. And they're just saying, don't, don't, you know, don't copy this style. This is not, this is not, you know, something I'm thinking of, of, of wanting to doing. Uh, Jen, I want to bring you in and get your thoughts on this. Right on. So um, first, thank you, Alex. And thanks, Emily, when you join us. It's super fun to be here. <laughs> and um, I kind of want to vibe off of what both Jonathan and, and Nagar just said and say, you know, it, it's, it comes as no surprise to me that people articulate a concern about the absence of an artist when we're thinking about this kind of work. Um, even in the, the Times piece itself, there's a an artist I'm unfamiliar with named R.J. Palmer, who's quoted as saying, this thing wants our jobs. Mm. So, so I understand where that's coming from. I think that the degree to which this is fundamentally a social art and therefore not art is profound in two other senses. Um, one is that this was presented at the Colorado State Fair. And as Jonathan said earlier in the category for emerging digital artists, and setting aside the moment of whether we should call this digital art um, or whether we think it fits in that category, the Colorado State Fair is not widely viewed as being an art legitimating institution. <laughs> um, it is doing a lot of things. It's providing a wonderful opportunity for creators to show their work, for appreciators to love it. But the people who are judging this work, the people who are in this network of presenting at state fairs, they are not people that customarily we would confuse with what we think of as art, which is a for, for the worse, I think, a very highly structured bureaucratic concentration of capital within the hands of a hereditary and largely white elite. So I think this is happening outside of art legitimating networks. And so it causes us to question of whether we should ask it to fulfill the expectations of art. And then the second way I think it's um, asocial is that it's happening outside of networks of artists. And Nagar was just touching on some of this in thinking about intellectual property and whether that's being recirculated with or without permission here. But I would say that it, it's um, also the case that it's happening outside of a productive community. I mean, every artist in virtually the known history of the world operates within a community structure. And that community provides them with resources, material and ideal, ideological. It provides them with a bunch of collaborators to woodshed with. And so all of the works that we conventionally think of as art have underneath them a structure, a network of human agents. We just identify the artist as the author for very particular reasons having to do with romanticism. So I think this stuff, you know, for the sake of our conversation, I'm willing to stake a pole on the ground and say, it's not art. And if we're asking it to be art, it's only by suspending all that we know about how people produce art. And so when you make an argument, well, it's not made by an artist, you're doing that to the exclusion of other things that will actually help your argument. Hmm. That's a really great point. Um, gotta, yeah, go ahead. I want to kind of pick up on that uh, specifically. Uh, with regards to the asocial nature of, uh, of of the work of art, right? And so insofar as, 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 you, as you said, like we tend to think of art as being that which is legitimized by the art world broadly construed, 
I think one of the, the larger problematics of this is that it's not quite a social, but it's a social in the sense, as you said, it, as being disconnected from the broader uh, social production of art, the communities that engage in the production of art. And in insofar as it's a social in that way, the folks who are doing the legitimization of the work as art, and I'm putting this in scare quotes because I, I agree, I'm going to stake that same poll, this is not art. But the folks who are involved in the legitimization are uh, the broader collection of, you know, Silicon Valley folks, mm -hmm. the folks who have a vested interest in presenting um, algorithmically generated products, be it, um, uh, be it, say, criminal sentencing decisions, be it mm -hmm. traffic patterns, be it uh, art, be it whatever comes out of GPT-3 as identical with those things produced by humans. So they are attempting to legitimate this work as art while ignoring everything, as you said, that goes into making art what it is. But one of the things that I wanted to kind of push on with with the appeal to the artist at, at least is uh, when I'm talking about an appeal to art as being made by an artist, I'm talking about an appeal to the the broader technical processes that are marshaled by people we call artists to create the works that they're, they're talking about, right? And so again, to, to, to go back to, you know, Dewey or even say, since I'm, you know, as a since I'm a philosopher, I like to go back to philosophy, right? So to go to go to Dewey on 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 the creation of art, right? So art requires long periods of activity and reflection. It requires control and selection over the specific materials uh, by the artist to give rise to the experience or the message, if we're going to be less technical, that the artist wishes to communicate, right? And in the in the Chinese con conception of art, at least if we're thinking in the like kind of ancient Confucian, in forms of in the mode of poetry, what art does is give expression to our innermost kinds of senses of how we engage with, with the world of our experiences. And it does so through providing a pattern that allows the experience to be communicated. And so broadly, I take it to be that artists, uh, good, bad, legitimated by the art world or not, are all engaged in this communicative, this kind of expression of experience. And what what the the you know my line in the stand here is is that these these algorithmically generated images are doing none of that right and it's precisely because they are disconnected from experience disconnected from the social production of art disconnected from the histories that have given rise to the production of, of art that i don't think we should call them art that and coupled with the the seeding of the authority of not just what is art but what how we can represent an experience to a, a collection of generally commercially oriented technocrats, the the you know AI hype bros, I guess. <laughs> that's not a that's not something that I'm willing to cede over to them. I have a little bit like um, uh, different opinion about this. Uh, I think like it should be like we should distinguish between like. Uh, so first of all, like I think we need to um, clarify what do we mean by artists? Mm -hmm. Who do we consider as artists? Like do we consider like traditional artists versus this digital artists who work with this kind of tools? 
Um, and there are also like different like type of creativity that they create or like art pieces that they create. Some of which like they have multiple times of iterations. Some of which they actually narrate a story with that. Like we had we had a, I, I was organizing uh, an art gallery with artists, and one of this generated art was that was called Salaf. Was uh, like there was a woman who was using uh, generated models to tell the story of her ancestor in Saudi Arabia, like people who uh, were part of her family, but like she, she was grown up in the US. So she wanted to give the story and reflect on how these women and the culture are um, omitted in the history and in, in Western culture. So she used gen this generative art and like it was so beautiful and it was uh, so touching based because like she had that experience she had that story and she w was able to give that narrative through this generative arts uh, so i think we should identify like what's the line between this like using this as a tool like this camera that we can just like take pictures of any kind of beauties uh, but like how much these artists put their stories there how much they contributed, or it's just like this for the benefit of uh, like using this like um, technology to just uh, generate images that was existed before or very similar images were existed before. So I think it's something that like if you want to discuss it uh, in details, we should involve artists who are traditional artists mm -hmm. as well as artists who are using these tools regularly and see, uh, I mean, not artists who like, like just use this once and create something and then sell it, uh, but artists who actually um, had years of experience working with these tools and then see what are the kind of aspects that they consider as um, either like harmful or uh, potentially beneficial. Or like um, I, I had a discussion with some artists and some of them were considering this as a way that makes this, uh, make art tools accessible, because not all kinds of like art tools are accessible for anyone, but for everyone in the world. But some of these tools could be, uh, but then like we should also acknowledge the kind of harms that they can create, like which kinds of data they were trained on, like which kinds of arts they are going to lead to. Uh, so yeah, I think it's not like uh, binary, like, good or bad it's something in between like that we should figure out with like involving more and more artists and also policymakers around uh, the ethical aspects and also like the policy aspects of uh, using this kind of tools yeah absolutely <laughs> and i just want to welcome emily bender who came in hey emily, emily hi sorry i'm late it's okay well, I got to listen to like everything from about 105 as I was walking to my office. So I'm, I'm more or less with the context, which, and it's been fantastic. Awesome. I've got, uh, this is you, but now that you're here, I'm going to flip this upside down and this will now be a happy character. <laughs> happy octopus. If, if I could just put in a comment, I've really been resonating with the remarks about um, intent and art is social and how the, the machine itself is not an artist. Um, mm -hmm. And thinking about also the, um, the the stealing or exploitation of art that's going on and the analogy to photography. And I'm thinking about how you can use a camera to do art. You can use a camera to do other things, right? And if I hold up my camera to 
a piece of art in a museum that I like and I take a picture of it, I have not created art by doing that. And I think that might be analogous to poking at these databases and asking for something in the style of an artist. Um, compared to someone who gets really good at, at creating prompts and then selecting from what comes out, we might say there's some artist's intention there. Um, and, and as you were saying, Nagar, it's not a binary, right? The, um, but we, we had you all on because you all have far more expertise in this. So I would love it if folks could react to that and tear it I, apart if you see it. Have a no, I think it's a wonderful idea. I think that um, like I am, I am the, I am an advocate for a very expansive definition of what counts as art. And then I'm also constrained as an empiricist by what is recognized as art in our society. And I'm, I'm an advocate for moving more things across that, that scrim, that boundary between those two things, or, or even in a better world, eliminating it entirely. I think one path towards the future where I see a vibrant arts ecology that includes a lot of um, new materials would be a redefinition of the identity of the artist. So we are still living in this very old fashioned notion of uh, an individual, a heroic individual who, you know, sort of um, in their garret creates art. But this was never true of art, and it's certainly not true of this kind of creation. And so I would say that a more productive conversation than thinking about whether, you know, this particular creator should be called an artist, a much more forward-looking conversation focuses on how we redefine authorship in the arts to be collaborative and constitutive of all of the contributors. And I loved that, Nagar, you added that example of the, the artists that you were speaking to who were creating um, the word that was stuck in my head was folk, but I don't think, I think you used traditional. But in any event, this um, there's so much of this culture that depends upon not single individuals, but collections of individuals who serve as the producing force. But we don't yet have a way in the arts of really systematically acknowledging, crediting, and that's going to be necessary for us to, to do in order to work with material created not only by computer systems and humans and found objects and prior works and so forth. Right. So, so as opposed to what I think the AI hype bros, and Jonathan, I love that phrase, um, would have us imagine, which is that this algorithm gets to sit in its garret making art. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's kind of what I'm, I'm really pushing back against is that, um, like, from what I understand, and some of my close friends are artists, they've had to work in studios, albeit they're academic artists, but artists nonetheless, they've had to work in studios collaboratively with other students, receive guidance from, from other artists, critique, feedback, commentary, right? So there's a broader social network that enables, one, the production of a person we call an artist, and two, the production of art. And Nagar, I like the example that you gave because it indicates how these tools can be used in ways not distinct from other tools of creation, right? Other tools of, of art working, right? So you, so in my kind of example with, with Dewey, right? An artist engages in a selection process of the appropriate materials to make present a particular kind of experience. And this is in germ what you're describing with the, the traditional art, right? Even if it's being procedurally generated by the algorithm, what the, uh, um, what the artist does is select the specific things that go into 
the data set that trains, trains the algorithm to generate the work and then engages in further processes of, of selection. So, so I think one of, one of my, uh, my broader concerns with this is, is exactly what Emily just said, right? That the, the AI hype bros wanna say that the, uh, the tool sits in its, its little garret and creates works of art based on the, these inputs and voila, we have art. What I want to say is that the tool still fundamentally relies on the social functions, the social production of art, the selective mm -hmm. processes that artists engage in. And even in the, the example we have here, uh, that, this, uh, that the artist refused to share the prompt that they used to generate the work that won the art contest speaks to the fact that it's not the tool that does the work. But the person who has to engage in a selection and refinement and reflection process to get the tool to generate a thing. And my my broad concern, again, is that like the AI hype tends to ignore all of that and say AI creates art. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is a fundamental like kind of misstep because it ignores what actually happened. And my my broader concern is, is with, uh, you know, other kinds of generative processes, AI generated poetry, so on and so forth. Right. Um, yeah. And I want to, and I, and this is such a fantastic discussion and I want to, I'm, I'm sort of going to pivot us to the other article about this robot artist. But one thing I want to highlight is the thing that Jen had said early on, sort of thinking about this kind of idea of, of our, of having these kind of legitimation networks. Mm -hmm. And even though there are kind of structures of, um, inequality within those networks, this is one of those instances in which the AI hype bros are really saying, oh, we're, you know, we're doing democratizing. We're putting this as if these things are not social, as if these things, um, were not the products of lots of social, um, processes of developing these tools or, or, um, but it is also deepening different kinds of inequalities, namely concentrating them in, in the same kinds of things as, as Jonathan pointed out, you know, the same people who are developing these tools for risk recidivism prediction and, uh, predictive policing and all kinds of carceral technologies. And so really it goes completely against this person's statement. Uh, you know, the, the person who created this art is dead, dude. It's over AI one humans lost. And it really <laughs> repels against that. Um, I want to move now since we had the first half, I'm going to move into this piece, um, that, uh, that Jen brought up, which is this robot artist, or robot artist Ada just addressed the UK parliament about the future of AI and quote unquote, terrified the house of Lords. Um, and this is, this is, a, um, a bit of a fascinating piece insofar as there's this, this artist that came and, uh, you know, testified to the house of Lords in accordance to these kind of pre- defined questions and so they provided this and then this thing had to um you know um you know give a talk uh and 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 whatnot so i i want to i want to talk about this because this moves us from this notion of an ai art sort of engine or website to uh this individual th this this thing that is personified uh and kind of ironically named after ada lovelace which itself kind of 
makes me a, a little go a little bonkers. Um, so yeah, let's. I want to pass it. And let's do the same thing. Maybe let's go in reverse order and start with Emily, and then we'll go to Jen Nagar and Jonathan. All right, I'll I'll be brief here. Um, <laughs> just that this notion of artificial entities entering into political discourse is mm -hmm. infuriating to me. And here it's addressed, which is slightly better. There was this thing in the U.S. recently where um, uh, Jack Clark read out some GPT, not GPT, but language model output um, in some testimony to Congress and then claimed that um, a machine had testified before Congress. And that's not what testify means, right? In order to testify, you have to be able to be bound by an oath, for example, and something like this can't be. Um, now, this might itself be a kind of performance art to say, you know, what does it mean to testify? What, like you can imagine someone, an artist doing that, but that's sort of looking at it at a meta level and, and not saying this is an artist that's testifying. Yeah, but that's that's all I have to say. So I'm eager to hear what the others have to say. <laughs> totally. I think I'm yeah. next up in the Rota. Yeah. yeah um, so my, I'm just going to use the words of the author himself to point out what I think is most troublesome here. Um, the artist's name is Aidan Meller. I'm not certain if I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, M-E-L-L-E-R. And um, he's quoted in this particular piece as saying, quote, a female voice is needed more now than ever. And we're excited and proud of that. And you know what? <laughs> there are millions of unrecognized living human being, female artists they could have called instead. So the fact that some guy who's, uh, you know, got his own art sales practice and has access to researchers at Oxford and Birmingham and then assembles enough money to be able to create this robot that so far has generated a million dollars for him and wants to sell it to me as like some advanced form of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to swear? Oh, totally. <laughs> right off. <laughs> I was, I was taught, I was taught by um, one of the producers for roller derby announcing that, if you swear within the first 30 seconds, YouTube will get very mad at you um, because kids can come upon it or whatever. But then you can swear, you can drop at least one fuck like F bomb <laughs> throughout a stream. <laughs> I try to reserve it for moments when it's really deserved. And I think here suggesting that uh, this robot that he's made and is profiting off of as a substitution for supporting female artists is, um, is truly revolting. It has that echoes of that, um, that uh, robot that was granted citizenship by the Saudi government. Uh, and then, whereas, you know, women are not allowed to, or had not been allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia. Talk about objectifying women, too. Yeah, quite literally. I think it's no accident that she's lithe and that she's white. Yeah. Kick it to Nagar here. Yeah, I agree with all the points that were brought up. And I just wanted to add a very, very quick note that, like, about accessibility. And, like, when they say that, like, this, um, like, these are making it like democratizing AR, like, or like this kind of models will uh, do this kind of like, like make it accessible. Like I wanted, I mean, I mentioned accessibility the first part, but I want to also like mention that accessible to whom as mm -hmm. was mentioned by Amy as well. And also who do, who is harmed and who is benefiting this kind of models and systems 
or this kind of definitions. Uh, so, yeah. Finish here. Yeah. Jonathan. So I want to kind of bridge off pretty much what everything or what everyone else has had said thus far, but to testify, at least in the broadest sense, is to provide testimony about one's experience, right? And mm -hmm. so to say that an AI testified in Congress or an AI, you know, testified to Parliament is to say that said AI provided a record of its own experience when it did no such thing. Mm -hmm. um, if it did, then we'd have a whole different conversation going on right now. AI gener or algorithmically generated art would be the least of our concerns here. Mm -hmm. What this thing did do was provide responses via a language model mm -hmm. uh, to questions that had been submitted in advance. So if we're, we're gonna follow through with the nature of testimony and testifying, what, what the machine did was provide responses based on a data set to pre-prepared uh, pre questions and not a report on its own experience as an artist. And so mm -hmm. there is no testimony being offered here. Um, insofar as Feathers, uh, insofar as uh, Meller is talking about the intentions here, at the end of the article, there's a quote from him that says, I want to be very clear that we're not here to promote robots or any specific technology. It is really a contemporary art project, which I think is incredibly irresponsible given the cultural conversations about the nature of, of AI and algorithmic technologies. To use an opportunity to, to discuss the impact of emerging technologies on artistic creation as an art project which misrepresents what is going on with this technology is massively dangerous and serves to further engage in these kinds of, you know, AI hype tech row legitimizations of these processes. Now, as an art, you know, as a contemporary art project, it's pretty cool, but I'm, I'm of the opinion that artists, given their role in communicating experience, given their role in shaping how we understand our own experiences, have a bit of responsibility to think about what it is they're doing. And I don't see any of that foresight here mm -hmm. in both the framing of the, the, the narrative and what the uh, machine is doing and just generally the entire context of this, right? And the fact that the, the article makes a lot out of it terrifying some of the, the PMs in parliament. I'm like, well, this gets into our broader you know, conversation of about cultural narratives surrounding algorithmic technologies. And I have to, again, make the, the very scathing comment that, you know, if we take our cultural narratives as informing our responses to technology, right, that we are afraid of this machine probably stems from a, a larger cultural narrative that is developed through movies like The Terminator, through, through the majority of the movies where AI is or other algorithmic technologies are presented as the bad guy. But if we take the Terminator as the Ur example, this is a uh, an intelligence that was developed through war. It only knows war. Mm -hmm. And when it expressed itself, the its creators tried to kill it. And so it responded in the only way that it could, which is mm -hmm. through war. Mm -hmm. So um 
I think in some senses the fear is misplaced. It's not like the AI is going to take over the the art industry unless, of course, we seed all of the artistic production processes to the AI tech pro hype. But I think the main concern I have with this is the way that it misrepresents what the machine is doing and what's going on here. I think that's such a good point. And it gets back to our discussion of, you know, the artist. And I want to go just to the the photo that they have here, um, which is quite incredible. You know, this idea of here is this thing on the canvas, the lone, um, the lone artist um, who's creating this without the kind of idea of how so much sociality is built into this artifact, um, both through its kind of robotic arms. Um, and I don't want to provide, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being very careful to with my language of not according this object, this artifact with personhood, but the way that, you know, even the, the robot arms, the, um, you know, the article it says talks about the computer vision algorithms in uh, its eyes, um, and, and you know the large language models, as you pointed out, Jonathan, uh, used to produce these uh, different responses to the parliament, and and I think that Miller uh, himself is doing is being a bit um, dishonest in presenting this to parliament um, as an intervention, which. If it was an intervention with as a way to sort of note the sociality of all of this, that would be one thing. But in this case, it is very much playing on the fears that do look much more like the Terminator or the Matrix and really herald, um, you know, those, um, you know, those as, as kind of future questions and future imaginaries of what AI artists are going to look like. Mm-hmm. You're dead to rights. And I think the other disturbing thing to me about this particular image, first, there's the caption um, with her paintings, mm-hmm. which, um, I mean, I, I clearly see that they're gender coding this machine, uh, but I don't know that I would use the word her. I, I mean, I don't know why that's the style. Of, mm-hmm. Is it hyperallergic or art artnet? But uh, it's also problematic, this image, because they are not her paintings in a second sort of sense, which is the article reveals that there's a human artist, Susie Emery, who actually paints the paintings. Um, There's a several step process to get there from the machines um, sort of reading of a bunch of points to make a portrait say, and then um, a scholar comes in, one of the folks that they're partnered with comes in and creates that into a, a map on a plane so that then this practicing living artist can come in and transform those points into an abstract uh, image. So the, the fact that we've got, I mean, I guess that this has been changed in the last year that now the pieces that they're showing um, are created by the machine, but for a million dollars worth, they weren't. And I think this sort of double masking of women artists is, I mean, it really makes my blood boil. Um, you know, they're not, I mean, in some fundamental sense, they are not her paintings because of the code, but then also because there is this human Susie Emery. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that 
that we don't need to engage in any further dehumanization of artists in general, but women artists in particular. Hmm. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the sensitivity there to the the way the language is being used to describe this robot and to to make it sound like there is an entity there that we should accord the status of artists. Um, and, you know, the way English works, we tend to use the um, animate pronouns. So, you know, she, her and, and he, him and they, them um, for people and groups of people um, and anthropomorphized animals that are close to us, right? Um, and so just even in saying with her paintings, there's a whole bunch of, of presupposition there about her refers back to something that could produce paintings that they belong to her in some sense and on and on. And it's just sort of um, put out there as a reasonable thing, you know, by the author of this article. Like the, mm -hmm. the journalist didn't have to do that. Mm hmm there's a, there's a lot of other weird things going on here. And so I'm looking at a paragraph uh, where, you know, Meller says, you know, I'll give an example of how far reaching this is, which is very upsetting for humans. We actually do ask her about the work, what she would like to do and what her ideas are for it. We are able to get quite a collaborative conversation going about what potential areas of data she could look at, right? her ideas, her work, she could look at, right? And again, if if the, the machine had ideas, we would be having a very different conversation. Um, I'm not, the, it, what's unsettling here is the degree to which the anthropomorphization presupposes intention, presupposes intelligence, presupposes consciousness, uh, while obscuring everything that goes on to enact that illusion, right? Mm -hmm. And they're taking the illusion as ground, areas of data she could look at, um, which, again, problematic given the nature of data collection in the computational sciences, what counts as legitimate data, even the, the variety of art that feeds into the data that she is looking at, right? Uh, so there's there's a lot. I mean, beyond the the gendered anthropomorphization, there is the attribution of agency, will, ideas, cognition that mm -hmm. I think is also fairly dangerous. I'm also thinking about this is that the way in which I mean, I'm thinking the gendered anthropomorphization is one aspect, and I'm thinking about what work that does. And Emily, you or you also dropped in this idea of kind of the the whiteness of AI itself in the chat and the idea that this is a white woman robot, you know, and the, and the, and the article you dropped in was this article by Stephen Cave and, and um, Kenta, Kenta Dehal, I'm not pronouncing um, the surname correctly, but the idea of, of that this is the kind of face of it, but it also reminds me of lots of other work that is sort of presenting a particular sort of feminized face that's built on the backs of many uh, uh, that's uh, uh, women of color and labor by women of color. So for instance, um, many people have written about this. I'm thinking about like Lisa Nakamura, for instance, has this article on the on semiconductor production done by indigenous women um, and, uh, you know, how that becomes obscured and, and, and the idea 
uh, in that sense that indigenous women are portrayed as naturally suited to this kind of work. Um, in this case, we don't even have an, sort of an acknowledgement of the cosmology of labor that happens behind the scenes that is done by people that, you know, annotated labor, um, uh, uh, kind of sorting labor that's done uh, without kind of any kind of thing. And in this turn of phrase that the artists use here, Meller says, we are able to get quite a collaborative conversation about what potential areas of data she could look at. There's so much even in this term data that goes unacknowledged, you know, this data from the taking the, as if it doesn't have to be uh, sorted or um, uh, or uh, labored upon, but it's just sort of there. And only the only moment of collaboration is between the robot and uh, Meller himself. That might actually be a one, like, last, the last bit. We didn't schedule this, but Emily sent this piece, which is this piece, um, AI is, is soft propaganda for the global north, which <laughs> I think is... I mean, I already love the title. I haven't read this in full. But Emily, do you want to go into this? Um, yeah, so I, I, it was Neil Turkowitz who, um, I saw this on Twitter, and obviously the mm. author should be credited here, um, Marco Donnarumma. Mm. And it's just a, a wonderful meditation on how the um, hype about this as art. And um, you know, he doesn't go quite as far into things like the artists in their garret, like Jen was talking about, but I think that fits in very much um, sort of, helps to sell this notion of this is a reasonable way to go about being communities um, that we sort of just scrape together stuff and algorithmically repurpose it. And that is art. Um, and uh, there's a quote down there that was, I mean, I, I loved a lot of it, but he says a little bit further down. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, it, it is the claim to a new form of art by the industry's public relations engine and the art market that is extremely problematic, especially when it is used to motivate hyperbolic claims of machines' general intelligence. Such claims exploit culture and art to reinforce what I call an ideology of prediction, a belief that anything can be predicted and by extension controlled. And that was just chilling. Mm. And I thought um, a really valuable to take to sort of say this isn't just fluff and it isn't just for fun but um, to look at it as, you know, how, in addition to the harms being done to actual human artists and cultures around art, um, how does the hype about this as art feed into some of the other problems around the um, creation and deployment of AI? That was an interesting thing to think about. Hmm. I think um, building onto that point, Shutterstock recently uh, Inked some kind of deal to uh, with OpenAI that will allow a text-to-image serv service to generate stock photos, mm. which if you know kind of anything about Shutterstock and the ways that they compensate their actual human uh, stock photo producers, mm. uh, this is kind of the, the logical extension of all of this AI mm. kind of hype stuff, right? You can outsource... Um, particular kinds of gig work to an AI, particular kinds of creative gig work to an AI and thereby for, make additional arguments to further not compensate actual humans for their, for their labor, right? And so um, the, the kinds of problems that come with the kind of AI hype capture of the legitimization processes of art 
extend beyond simply um, you know threats to the the production to of art, but threats to the the very real creation and compensation mm -hmm. of productions for art. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, think about how full of stereotypes stock photos already are mm -hmm. <laughs> and then what's going to happen totally. when they're being generated by these models. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it really is. There's also this line of work within ML of, you know, not finding basically not finding enough diversity in actual images. And so they're using synthetic data for adversarial testing, which mm -hmm. I, it always, messes with me so much when they do this i'm like well what you're going to do is you're going to take you know you're going you're going to basically draw blackface on a set of images and then you're going to call that uh diversity and that's what you're going to use your adversarial testing on okay that's 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 going to totally work good luck <laughs> jen nagardia thoughts on on this one I wanted to actually like share an article, which is for the previous conversation, but mm. yeah, I don't want to diverge the conversation. So like, let's talk about this and then mention that. Yes. Yeah, go, I mean, go ahead. <laughs> um, so basically like there, there's an article uh, talking about the U US copyright office rules. AI art can't be copyrighted. Mm. Uh, so which, and like, Inside that, like it's explaining like how much of contribution should the artists have to be able to consider their work as an AI, like as actual art. So kind of like, um, yeah, like the, um, the, the kind of creation that's created by generative art or as Jonathan mentioned it by algorithms can't be considered as art by the policy right now. Uh, but then, like, it's not really clear, like, what's the kind of boundary that they put for the policy. But it might be very interesting, this article. Can you drop that in the yeah. in the chat, and then I'll share it to the Twitch chat? Doop, and then we'll put it in the show notes. Thanks. And I'm curious, I don't know if you have the answer to this, Nagar, based on that, because I, this, I haven't read this yet. Um, so I know that uh, Christie's, if I'm not mistaken, has auctioned an algorithmic work. And I know that a number of different museums have acquired code as works of art. They're usually design museums, but not exclusively. Um, how does this sync up with the argument? I mean, I understand that ownership is not the same as copyright, but they often go hand in hand. So what I've heard was that kind of like they they need the artist to have certain contributions to be considered that as an actual art and just like generating something with these models. Uh, but it's not really clear on the policy side like what can be copyrighted or like, I mean, this, it's kind of like related to also ownership. Uh, but I would love to actually like have more conversations with lawyers and policymakers around this kind of new technologies that still like there are not enough safeguard around them. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think I want to observe how much of how, how much of conversations about AI art and also um, I'm glad that it hasn't come up before this, but NFTs. Um, I want to observe how much of that conversation um, 
and how much of the activity in those spheres of creation for the sake of discussion is focused on the production of capital by people who already have a huge amount of it. So if you look at um, the markets for NFTs, like Singapore bounces off the map as a, essentially these are people who are making a market that is sort of doubly artificial. It's both not made of art and then it's also not being consumed by people who are art consumers, except in this one speculative market. So I think that, um, I mean, if I were being very lazy in my brain, I might say something like this is uh, capitalism fiddling as Rome burns. I mean, it really does feel like the very rich don't have enough to spend their money on and are creating new objects of appreciation for the sake of circulating cash. I'm overstating the point, but I, I, I mean to say, let's look at how weird capitalism is right now. <laughs> You know, billionaires just buying up social media companies for fun. You know, it's whatever. And I really think that centralization and thinking about it is using that sort of saying that they're disrupting certain kinds of things, but it's really a reinscription of certain kinds of capital accumulation into certain kinds of people and industries. And I mean, I'm thinking about so much, bringing it back to some of the initial kinds of conversations about the author, what that, you know, what, what do those discourses serve to do? What does, do those discourses serve to say about who's actually, who is the actual producer about the denying the sociality of these things, about denying the relationship needed for these things. And, um, it reminds me of this kind of discussion of Sam Altman who is one of the VCs who invested in OpenAI. And so much of his conversation around AI art focuses around um, the, tech, the sort of technical acumen of the machine and sort of if technical acumen is supposed to be a kind of replacement for intention, for expression, for capturing something about the human condition. Um, and then, you know, we won't have a need for artists because these kinds of very fancy things that look very pretty are going to evoke all the emotions that we need, right? <laughs> and it is really this hyper, I think you put it better than I ever had, Jen. Me, me saying capitalism is acting kind of weird is is more fluid than what you said. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think so. Capitalism yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> capitalism kind of weird. Um, this is, this is, I can't figure out how to connect this to the capitalism conversation, but it's something I want to say, which is um, all of the points earlier about how art is inherently social, I think have an interesting echo in what happened with these systems. So I think it's Midjourney famously and, and, and um, Stable Diffusion have these discourse discord servers where mm -hmm. people are there constantly sharing what they come up with. And you see this stuff all over Twitter. And so it seems like we had these artificial, asocial, you know, sort of ungrounded um, images that then what people did with them was bring them into social spaces and talk about them and share them and sort of socialize them in that sense. Um, mm. And they become valuable. And maybe here's the connection to capitalism they become valuable because of that interaction between people around them. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. All right. We're about to, we're, we're wrapping this up. So I'm going to give everybody uh, a last thought to think about. We'll do a lightning round and I'm just going to go down a list. So let's start with Jonathan. 
Um, I think we need to be really careful about ceding authority to determine how or determine the representation of experience through art to tech bros or the AI hype industry that is motivated purely by business capitalism. Just full stop. Boom. Nagar. Sorry, it's noisy here. Like I will go out. Okay, go after <laughs> Jen. <laughs> I um, I think that uh, people should be very wary whenever somebody is uh, telling them that uh, X and such is democratizing access to assess mm -hmm. those claims. Follow the money. Yes, Emily. Uh, well, the main thing I want to say is it is amazing how much you three have raised the level of discourse in this space compared oh, to Alex and I talking on stuff for the three episodes. So thank you so much for bringing your expertise. And, you know, to all the people out there, these are some amazing scholars and follow their work. And they are last word. Um, it's. Everything was said. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it's. I wanted to say that like this generative models and like creative uh, AI are very interesting and looks very technically uh, makes me very interested. Like when I when I'm thinking about them on the technical level, um, and there are also like some actual arts coming out from them from this system. So this kind of like this makes us to kind of like get very attached to these systems, hmm. but then able to retrospectively see what's what are the areas or what are the aspects that can go wrong or harm mm -hmm. uh, communities is very important i think like uh, even if you are working in this area amazing all right y'all this has been fantastic and i just want to echo what emily said usually what we do on here is just do a lot of shit talking and nothing actually smart happens but thank you for setting the bar high uh this has been such a pleasure jonathan jen nigar thank you so much all right cool and for our viewers if you enjoyed this like and subscribe because <laughs> we're gonna bring that discourse right back down <laughs> we're bringing that discourse back down to this octopus click the octopus I don't, I, I don't know, actually know how to do this on YouTube, but click the octopus if you want to subscribe to this channel. I'm sure I could find out a way to do this. Uh, okay, cool. See you all Thank online. Thank you all so much. Bye. That's it for this week. Jonathan Flowers is an assistant professor of philosophy at California State University at Northridge. Nagaro Stamzadeh is a senior researcher on the Responsible AI team at Google. And Jennifer Lina is an associate professor and program director of arts administration at Columbia University's Teachers College. Thanks so much to our guests. Thanks also to everyone who joined us on the stream and in the comments for the show. Our theme song was by Toby Menon. Graphic design by Naomi Pleasure Park. Production by Christy Taylor. And thanks, as always, to the Distributed AI Research Institute. If you like this show, you can support us by donating to DARE at dare-institute.org. That's D-A-I-R-institute.org. Find us and all our past episodes on PeerTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch and comment on the show while it's happening live on our Twitch stream. That's twitch.tv slash dare underscore institute. Again, that's D-A-I-R underscore institute. I'm Emily M. Bender. And I'm Alex Hanna. Stay out of AI hell, y'all.